0: that,
1: Houston. All five by five. But what if there is no
0: tomorrow? There wasn't one today. Fascinating. Get away from her, you bitch. I'm Batman. Do or do not. There is no
2: tomorrow. Welcome to the Nerdfest podcast. Today we've got
1: Dan Watkins, Peter Johnson, John Father,
2: and I'm Hazel Burton. It is our 50th episode. Ooh, no really? way. So what's in the episode, Peter? Dun-dun-dun, <laughs> it on its head, yeah! <laughs>
1: Today we'll be doing Buffer Bluffs. Yes. And we'll be looking back at the films of 2019. Woo! Aww. Not
2: including Star Wars. And... Cats. Cats, yes. None of us are going to see that popping down.
3: <laughs> I really want to. I don't know why. It's out the same day as Rise of Skywalker. Yeah. Star Wars takes priority.
4: Yeah, I'm guessing there's not that many midnight screenings of cats. Just they're booking. They are a the turtle. Yeah, yeah.
3: <laughs> and Hazel's also picked out some of our favourite moments from the past fifty episodes.
2: So let's start the show. What have been our favourite moments from recording all fifty episodes? Dylan Crown mood. Uh, uh
3: my my favorite form from our golden <laughs> jubilee uh, <Yes. laughs> has has been that time we discussed the crown at length and it never made the cut of an episode <laughs>
1: my favorite was removing the crown from every single episode
4: <laughs> my favorite was the episode where i talked about nick cage movies at great length which mm-hmm. is our lowest ever yes. listener <laughs> number episode
2: not a coincidence so it's a bit of a coincidence that our 50th episode is also the two-year mark since we started recording this mm. Not really, because we
4: released fortnightly, so it's more a method of maths than...
2: Shut up, John. <laughs> <laughs> My favourite
3: episode from the last 50 was when you told John to shut up.
2: <laughs> that doesn't narrow it down. <laughs>
3: oh, oh, I've actually got a favourite now. I've yeah. actually thought of one. Go on then. My favourite Nerdfest moment from the past 50 episodes have been when we've gone live. Uh, whether oh, that's yes. after a film screening like Captain Marvel or The Last Jedi or when we did our special live episode at the Newcastle Improv Festival with our amazing special guests. I really enjoyed mm. doing that live episode. So that would be my pick. that because yeah, Peter right.
4: can't edit you down.
3: <laughs> the live stream
1: exists. <laughs> Actually in every case I've
4: edited.
2: <laughs> Yeah, no, that, that was a very special moment during the Newcastle Improv Festival, and we were able to have a live recording in Alphabetica Theatre, which is most of our second homes, and I wish I could kind of capture that atmosphere again. It was amazing. Mm-hmm.
3: I also greatly enjoyed John's vast underestimation of Black Panther in our early days. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's
2: going Marvel's biggest flop.
3: Yeah. I enjoyed when we talked about Hamilton. Mm. mm. Uh, it doesn't happen I enough don't. anymore. Did but... you, John?
4: I I switch off. It's amazing. I go go to my happy place.
3: (laughs) I enjoyed that year where I just thought about (laughs) porgs.
2: Okay, so some of my top three moments from recording the podcast over the previous year manifested in questions. If you can tell me who said the line and for a bonus point, which episode is it taken from? (laughs)
0: Okay.
2: Number one. For the love of God, if you hold anything dear, never watch this movie. It's the biggest pile of shit I've ever Buzz,
1: seen. Um, Ian, uh, yes. talking about Joker from the episode, I hear you paint faces. I um, say it's- you
2: got... Two out of three. It's chapter two. Not Joker. It's it chapter two. Ah! If you remember, Ian loved Joker, and then we all talked about Uh, it, and (laughs) And
3: now he doesn't (laughs) like it as much anymore.
2: Yes, episode forty-five. I hear you paint faces,
3: and Ian's not been seen Mm. since. No. (laughs) Uh,
2: Number two. Can you imagine being the guy who has to clean the holodeck on a morning?
3: Buzz. Yes, that's bound to have been John. (laughs) It is. It is John. That's the sort of thing I would say in most of the episodes.
2: (laughs) yeah he's talking about well holodeck can kind of give you a clue star
3: trek discovery
2: yeah uh in episode 39 not exactly a recommendation because um john has had a habit over recent months of in our recommendation section bringing a film that he hates
4: <laughs> every time <laughs> quite a new nicholas cage one vengeance vengeance right so you've got look what you did hazel so basically you've got um second uncle this woman (laughs) that he's uh, sexually assaulted and raped and left for dead while her 12 year old daughter watches and she has to give evidence in trial to prevent the people that did it getting away scot-free now this is played completely straight like she's traumatized you've got this real genuine thing about you have
2: talked about this before i'm sure you have
4: no, I only watched it two days ago.
2: Okay, maybe not. Yeah. Maybe and I'm like- just living the same nightmare over <laughs> and <laughs> again. And it's played like...
3: <laughs> You're like that character in the Nicolas Cage film Next, <laughs> which I was forced to watch.
4: It's all played completely straight. She's in tears all the way through. She's properly traumatised. At the same time, the other side's defence lawyer is played by Don Johnson, and he just plays a completely pantomime, moustache twirling, well, you don't just need a good lawyer, you need a lawyer who can get the right story. Like, completely different. And then Nicolas Cage is the cop that finds her. And then 20 minutes from the end, he's worried that she's not going to give evidence. So he just gets a good and shoots all the guys, and that's the end of the film.
2: Well, and fifty episodes wait. is more than most people get, so <laughs> we can just end our run here <laughs> for the just, greater good.
1: How can we top that? It's yeah. p-
4: it's, p- it's it's on Netflix.
2: Yeah, sure. Oh, number three, I think I would give it eight and a half disturbed childhoods out of ten.
4: Ooh, was that me in the last episode?
2: No, nope. but it, yes. <laughs> was, was
4: it was it Dan <laughs> and something that disturbed Dan's childhood?
2: Nope.
4: Hmm. Oh, I've re- recognised the phrase.
2: You should. Ah. So it was me then.
1: I'm just trying to think what you was talking about. about. Uh,
2: This one was quite a while ago. It was beginning of the (laughs) year-ish.
4: What's disturbed (laughs) Peter's childhood (laughs) other than Ian?
1: I'm not sure it was my childhood that was disturbed. I think it was someone else's that was.
2: It was a recommendation you had. And also um, a Rihanna song that spent far too long in the charts.
0: Umbrella. Umbrella Academy. Yes
2: yeah um it was in the episode marvellous things happen where we spent most of the episode trying to come up with a synopsis for captain marvel <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then things happen <laughs> so yeah
4: who won i think we all we, the listeners won
2: <laughs> we're all
4: winners
3: aren't we yes. yes you can go back and listen to every show we've ever done mm. Mm.
2: yes but I, it's a pleasure recording with you fine people and i hope to continue to do it for many years to come
4: many 50s more <laughs>
2: Okay, so let's move on to our film buff or film bluff quiz. What happens here is we've all got three film facts. Deviously, though, we have made one of them up. So we've got to try and work out which one is the made up fact. Dan. Hello. Over to you. Yes.
3: So last episode, we reviewed Ryan Johnson's Knives Out, which pays all kinds of homages and tributes to detective stories of the past. And in one scene in particular, one of the characters returns home to find their mother watching an episode of Murder, She Wrote.
1: <laughs>
3: My buffer bluff is about Murder, She Wrote. <laughs> so, which of these Jessica Fletcher facts are true and which is the bluff? Number one, Jessica Fletcher, the character played by Angela Lansbury in Murder, She Wrote, is a Guinness World Record holder. Number two, the show Murder, She Wrote shares one of its main locations with the movie Jaws. And number three, Murder, She Wrote did a crossover episode with Tom Selleck's
4: Magnum P.I. <laughs> I know two of these. The Jaws
2: fact, Martha's Vineyard, Martha's is Vineyard,
4: I think uh, it was yeah. shot mm-hmm. at, yeah.
3: Jaws was shot at Martha's Vineyard, yes. yes.
4: Yeah, and I think Murder, She Wrote might have been. Mm-hmm. I'm not 100%. It may have been set there, but not shot there.
3: I can tell you the show called the location Cabot Cove. And apparently it took over Honduras as the murder capital of the world <laughs> um, when you averaged it all out.
2: Yeah, I think I've heard that.
4: And I think I've seen the Tom Selleck one. Or dreamt it. <laughs> <laughs> Looking at Dan's face.
3: Wow.
2: Tom
4: Selleck did do a crossover with somebody, and I thought he was mentioning Monica.
3: Uh. So,
4: so you're saying the character.
3: The character is a world record holder. Uh,
4: what is the world record?
3: That would be telling.
4: In the fictional world of the series, in our
3: real world, you could look at Guinness World Records and find her there, not within the world of
1: the she show. She's the
4: person that got away with most murders. <laughs> Seeing
1: as he's non-specific, that has to be true.
4: Mm.
2: No, I thought he hasn't bothered to make that up. <laughs> 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 Maybe I'm going with the Guinness as the bluff.
4: You see, I thought he was shot at Martha's Vineyard, and and now I'm second guessing myself because. You're right that the Guinness one is quite vague, so he wants to tell us an amusing fact about it. If it was Mm -hmm. a lie, you'd be more specific. And I know the Tom Selleck crossover is real, I think.
3: I I know I think. I think think, think
4: they're all true. Stick
3: to your guns, John. Come on, channel your inner Um, Benoit Blanc.
4: I'm going to go with Jaws being fake.
3: I'm going to go with Magnum. Okay. One each. Yeah. I suspect foul play. Uh, John is correct. Yeah. So Jessica Fletcher is the world record holder for most prolific amateur sleuth. (laughs) Because Murder, She Wrote took place over 265 episodes and four feature-length movies, puts her ahead of other fictional detectives like Sherlock Holmes has never had that many cases. Miss Marple was never subject of that many novels. Poirot never had that many mysteries. Mm. So Jessica Fletcher gets Mm. the world record. Shouldn't the record
4: have fictional in it somewhere? Apparently not. Has Sherlock not had that many episodes? Not Sherlock, sorry, Elementary, the American Sherlock.
3: Guinness World Records website, as of (laughs) a few days ago when I wrote this, still holds Jessica Fletcher as the record holder. But 265 episodes is a lot of seasons. Uh, Murder, She Wrote ran for over a decade, and Elementary's not been going that long.
4: It's finished now, hasn't it? It's just just Mm. wound up.
3: They did do a crossover episode with Magnum. (laughs) Uh, Magnum was getting towards the end of its run Was struggling for ratings But everybody was watching that So they were hoping that some of Angela Lansbury's audience Would cross over to Tom Selleck Mm -hmm. It didn't work I can't imagine why And then towards the end of Murder, She Wrote's run The network was trying to kill it off And put it directly opposite Friends
4: Murder, She Wrote was running at the same time. as. They seem like shows that are so distant apart. And in researching
3: this, I looked at an episode where she solves murders about a sitcom about a bunch of friends who sit in a coffee shop (laughs) and do nothing. And it takes all these blatant pot shots at friends. Um, And she basically said, they've put us in this slot opposite the most popular show ever to kill us off. Mm. And it worked Mm because they didn't want to do the show anymore. Mm. So they blame bad ratings. Mm. Um, The bluff was the Jaws location. So Cabot Cove was filmed on the Jaws Lake at Universal Studios, Ah. but this was made as a tourist attraction after Jaws came Mm -hmm. out, because Jaws, as you said, was shot at Martha's Vineyard. So technically, it's a Jaws location, just not for the film.
4: Yeah, so I've been to Cabot Cove then. You have. Oh, that's exciting. Did you see a murder? I didn't know. One day, there was no murder.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Was everybody on your tour still (laughs) on it at the end?
4: No, thinking about it. (laughs)
3: It was a very ropey shark (laughs) (laughs) This is the California one I assume so,
2: yeah Yeah.
1: So there you go, Murder, Mm. She Wrote
2: Nice Peter?
1: This is my Bond or Bluff questions (laughs) (laughs) Okay You may have heard Steven Spielberg and Quentin Tarantino were approached or talked about directing Bond movies Did you know that Alfred Hitchcock was approached by Fleming for Thunderball in 1959 back when it was going to be the first Bond movie? Nope
4: <laughs> <laughs> okay. Isabel Bluff is Did We Know? <laughs>
3: True, I did not know. <laughs>
1: right. The second fact is, after bad advice from his agent, George Lazenby announced he was done even before the release of Honor Majesty's Secret Service. Diamonds Are Forever was already drafted as a revenge themed sequel to that movie, after his wife was murdered at the end of the first film, but that was scrapped so Connery could return. And for the third fact, Skyfall has been localised into more languages than any other British-made movie, Mm.
3: which the Bond movies count as for these purposes. I could believe that Skyfall one because I'm sure it's the most successful British film ever. Mm Yeah, I haven't seen all the Bonds. I think Mm -hmm. I've only seen about half of them. But I remember the cliffhanger at the end of the George Lesenby one. And thinking, oh, a cliffhanger! I wouldn't expect that from a James Bond film. Mm. So that would suggest to me that they were thinking of tying it up. Yeah, mm-hmm. but I wouldn't know if any others end in a similar fashion.
4: Quantum of Solace follows on directly from Casino Royale. More or less, the others have always been pretty much standalone.
2: Alfred Hitchcock. So it kind of—I can see the connection there because famously, he never treated his female actors very well <laughs> and neither anyway, Bond films don't have a history of um, representing females very well so I can kind of maybe see the connection
3: and this is 1959 so this is just Pre- after Vertigo I was going to say
2: this is just after
4: Vertigo and before so this is between Vertigo and Psycho Vertigo didn't do brilliantly Hitchcock did
3: adaptations before, didn't he?
4: Yeah, I mean, a lot of his stuff is... I mean, Vertigo's an adaptation. Birds Psycho, is yeah. Daphne du Maurier. Mm. Mm. He was never very, very credited as a writer, but he had a lot of control over development. But what he did was take a property and adapt it. But I'm not sure he would be that interested in being a director for hire at that point. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: How were the Fleming books regarded before there was a film they series? They were very well known. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
4: And also, I don't recall that fact about Hitchcock. I'm going to go that that's the bluff.
2: Uh, I think I might go with the Skyfall one just because um, there might well be another British film that's got the record.
3: I am going to say Diamonds Are Forever. Mm. Forever, forever. (laughs)
1: Mm.
3: So we have one of each. Mm -hmm. Hitchcock was approached to direct
1: Thunderbolt Mm -hmm. and it was just before he did Psycho.
4: It cannot have got very far though. I don't think it was in active development.
1: No, I don't think so. Yes, it is true about Danzar Forever. Mm. They would probably have let him do another film, right. even though he's
3: held as being quite unpopular. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I really liked him when I watched that one. It's Not coming the, in as an aficionado.
1: I like the mm. film
4: more more than him. Right. We, t- we talked about this sort of off-podcast at one point, where we said the best Bond and the best Bond film are two very different things. Mm-hmm. Mm. And the one
1: I made up in the car on the way over because I was desperate for it, <laughs> realized all of a sudden, oh crap! I hadn't thought of something. Is that Skyfall had been localized into more languages than any other British-made movie? Which I have to assume is not true because I haven't actually <laughs> no, checked. No, you just made <laughs> it. Up. Is this, a,
4: this is a Star Trek Hotel moment, isn't it? <laughs> um, I've got my before bluff. It's oh, I wonder which actor it could be about. Oh,
3: you've oh, you've been God. working
4: on this for ages, haven't you, John? I've got I've got three Nick Cage facts for you. <laughs> oh. Right, Two of which are true, one of which is completely made up. Tell hard to tell with Nick Cage. Mm-hmm. Number one, Nicolas Cage paid $150,000 for a pet octopus. <laughs>
2: <laughs> number
4: two, Nicolas Cage once claimed that he only ate animals that had sex in a dignified manner.
2: <laughs> but what, you know, his interpretation of dignified is probably not with somebody else's. <laughs> and okay.
4: number three... Nicolas Cage still has a pair of underpants as he wore when he won an Oscar for *Leaving Las Vegas and wears them on the first day of each new film for look.
1: Oh, that third one can't be true. Part of will think how many films he's had. there would be... He washes The them. amount of wear they would have had
4: by now. He might just put them on for an hour.
2: John, can you give examples of animals that have sex yes, in an undignified um, manner, He please? says
4: that birds have sex in a dignified manner, mm-hmm. and that fish do, but that pigs don't. So he would eat fish or fowl, but he would not eat a pig.
2: This is a different version of the animals that father yes. Wood, isn't it?
3: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how about peaches? Do they have sex in a dignified manner? Finches. Peaches. <laughs> peaches. Because I understood he could eat one, of those, could eat one of those for hours. He those for hours, yes. Oh. Uh, he
4: didn't proclaim on a peach, but he said uh, he said the birds have sex in a dignified manner, so he would eat them.
3: Ornithological Mm. question How do birds have sex? Carefully.
4: I've seen birds go at it like beak to beak, but I assume that's not the actual. (laughs) John, shall we explain a few things? You know when they say the birds and the bees? Yeah. Well, the birds don't do it that way. Well, I assume not, but I've I've seen. Nor do the bees, probably. I I remember as a child being turned away from a bird's cage because two birds were going at it and there was a lot of. uh... Oh, dear. I know pigeons puff up, don't they? They make themselves look more impressive.
3: You've taught yourself out of this one. That's my bluff.
2: (laughs) Um, Um, The octopus. There's an animal theme here. 150,000. That
3: seems about right for... Because he bought the first Superman comic for a ridiculous amount. He bought T-Rex skulls that he had to give back to museums. And
2: he's gone bankrupt. He bought bought two
4: castles, an island...
2: Many, many divorce bills. Yes, and a nine-foot
4: tombstone.
3: Uh-huh. Hundred fifty grand for an octopus doesn't seem that no. outlandish.
4: <laughs> I mean, you'd probably just get a net, wouldn't you, and catch one.
3: Not if it was one of those psychic ones that could predict football results. R-
4: predict the World Cup. Yeah, mm. he could have got all his money back by asking his octopus yeah. who's yeah. going to win the World Cup. Maybe that was
3: the plan to get out
4: of bankruptcy. <laughs> That's a
2: film there. So maybe octopus, octopi, I don't know, don't have sex in a dignified way, so he's got them as a pet, but he wouldn't eat it. Mm. Mm. Don't octopuses have sex in a
4: till way, don't they? <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure it's octopuses that have barbed penises that go into a lady octopus and then they essentially have to pull themselves away. Isn't that true of cats? Some, I'm pretty sure the octopus that pulls film's itself be away, so good. leaves the penis inside the lady octopus, <laughs> and then <laughs> that the male just, just floats off and dies. You
1: imagine ringing up the day after saying, Sorry, I think I left something <laughs> last <laughs> night? <laughs>
2: Right, and then the third one, the underwear. Yeah,
4: mm-hmm. mm, uh, if you like some details, it's it's lace underwear, like lacy box, silky boxers. But just given how many, not films the tighty whities. So from, you're saying yeah. every film, every film, all hundred
3: a year. Yeah. And the first time he wore them was the night he won the Oscar. Yeah,
4: so he won the Oscar for leaving Las Vegas. He decided these are lucky pants, and he wears them on the first day of the shoot for every film since.
2: And he must have given this information in an interview, in, interview rather yeah. than. First-hand knowledge. Well, I don't
4: believe a word of that one. <laughs> okay, so you think that's a bluff. Yeah. But you do believe that he splits <laughs> animals into woods and wood by the way they have sex.
1: No, I believe you would say that, <laughs> yes.
3: which isn't the same
1: thing.
4: Fair enough, yeah. yeah. So you're, you're going for you're going for he doesn't have magic lucky pants. <laughs> yes.
3: <laughs> I'm going with animals that farthing wood. <laughs> yeah,
2: <laughs> me too. Uh,
4: Peter <laughs> is correct. Yeah. Ah. Nicholas Cage does not have a pair of lucky pants, but he does separate animals into how dignified they are when they have sex (laughs) when deciding whether to eat them or not.
3: Were the examples you gave also true? The
4: examples were true, yes.
3: Wow. What about the bees? Not the bees?
4: No, they'd sting, wouldn't they?
3: That was a Wicker Man reference, (laughs) John.
4: No, God, I'll take my nerd card. (laughs) I even said not the bees. Mm -hmm. And he did spend $150,000 on a pet octopus, Mm -hmm. which is one of the least ridiculous things he bought that week.
3: Follow that, Hazel.
2: Yes. So moving on, I'm reading a book at the moment called Backwards and in Heels, uh, which is a, um, a book about... Ginger Rogers. Yeah. I actually don't know who gave the quote, but it's about Ginger Rogers in that um, she did everything that Fred Astaire did. She just did it backwards and in heels. It's a book about female filmmakers from the past, present and future. Really inspirational book, but I've got some facts about female filmmakers. Number one, from the 1900s to the 1920s, Half of all movies made in the US were written by women. Number two, the first person to be titled film editor was a woman. And number three, one of the first movie directors, Alice Guy Blanchet, made over a thousand movies and the archives have been restored and are now on display in the Museum of the Moving Image in New York.
1: The second one about film editors, there, yeah. certainly historically there's a lot of female film editors and yep. they they certainly were played a massive role mm. at the beginning of cinema
4: yeah. i'm thinking sort of Werner fields who did jaws and things like that she was a very famous female film editor
3: scorsese's used Thelma schoonmaker yes. for 40 years yeah. uh mm-hmm. Marcia lucas is the only lucas to have won an oscar for star wars and mm-hmm. um, for her editing <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
3: i could believe the first one i think that's true if Paul Merton's book about silent comedy is Mm -hmm. to be believed. The likes of Roscoe Arbuckle and Chaplin and Mary Pickford would go out, come up with the gags, come up with the plot, shoot it, and that was that. And it wasn't really until United Artists came along that Mm -hmm. it started to resemble more like we know now, I think.
4: Mm -hmm. I think it was almost like a factory for film scripts in the silent era, so I can imagine it being seen almost as... I don't mean this to sound sexist, but I can see it almost being... Seen as secretarial work, writing the scripts, mm-hmm. putting them, and. Yeah, means... people
3: like Harold Lloyd would have their gag men who would come mm-hmm. up with gags along with the star and they'd use the best ones and shoot them, but I don't mm-hmm. think you ever really got credit. Yeah. Which I just think this
4: might be the key difference. And what was the last one again, sorry?
2: Uh, so, it's one of the uh, first female directors. What was um, her name? Uh, Alice Guy Blanchet. And she made over a thousand movies in the early 20th century. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they were all restored and they're now in the Museum of the Moving Image in New York. All of them? Yes.
1: Uh, are they all short films?
2: Uh, yes, short and animated films. It's a tiny,
4: tiny essential films that ever survive because they're all like nitrate film stock and everything. Mm. And it's hugely fun.
3: That, flim- that, that would be the it? story from, rather than, I mean, as remarkable Mm. as her being a female director that early in hollywood is the idea that all of her films have survived Mm -hmm. would be the most impressive thing
1: are you saying all thousand are there or just some are
2: no they're all there they're all
4: restored i think this is a a sad story this is the bluff and this is probably the opposite and it's like she's the first female film director Mm. she made a thousand films and none of them have survived
1: Mm. Mm. i like the theory I'm going to go with that.
4: I'm going to go would with that. I'll go with and... that as my science mm-hmm. job.
2: So you're <laughs> you all going for the third one? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so the first one is true, and um, that half of all movies made in the US were written by women. Um, they wanted to essentially get more bums on seats in cinemas. So they wanted to appeal more to women so they would bring their husbands. So they employed more women in the industry. Mm-hmm. The second one is true as well. Viola Lawrence is the first editor uh, to be given that title.
3: Or well, how long ago?
2: I'm not sure the mm-hmm. year, but 1920s.
4: You've only read the first bit of this book, haven't you? Yes. Yeah.
2: Just going by the area from where all your questions are coming. I've read the past bits. Uh, the present and the future is uh, to come, so expect more mm-hmm. questions in future podcasts. All of Alice Guy Blanchet's movies were destroyed. Not a single one of her movies mm-hmm. remained, but she did yeah. make over a thousand
4: That's
2: of them. Why? I don't know. Why <laughs> did she make
4: over a thousand films? I'm guessing it was her job. Yeah.
3: <laughs> I know a lot of actresses around that time, film historians still struggle to identify a lot mm-hmm. of them because mm. they don't appear in the credits and they don't appear in the records. But
4: yeah, a thousand films. Mm-hmm. Mm. I mean, these are presumably like five minute shorts.
2: Yeah.
3: Probably e- even so. Mm.
2: You were right in terms of uh, a lot of um, those films that were made in the early 20th century mm-hmm. were destroyed because they didn't think that cinema was something that was going to take off. So they didn't want to like take up all this room. It's really sad that we never get to see it. Yeah.
3: Same thing with the BBC archives in the sixties. Mm-hmm. There are mm-hmm. still lots of missing episodes of things like Doctor Who. And Monty Python
2: kind of only survived
4: for some fluky reason, didn't it? Like the prints were sent out somewhere. Do you think there's any chance any of her films would get discovered by accident somewhere? It happens. They found most of Metropolis in various prints and stuff.
1: Doctor Who episodes. Apparently, they used to send some of the episodes out on film to mm. places like India. Mm. So that's where some of those Ethiopia, episodes were recovered and from. Afri- other African Ghana, countries I think, and was stuff, one. Yeah.
4: So that's a bummer. (laughs) Anyway. Sorry, lovely lady filmmaker. Sorry, Alice. Alice. We will remake all your films.
3: But I will say to listeners, if you ever get a chance to see silent movies, at a cinema on a big screen, do take the chance to do it because Mm. they are really Mm. fascinating to watch, especially Mm. if there's a live musician. Mm -hmm. I mean, we all know several great improvising musicians and that's what the piano players largely Mm. were. They would make up the score ...for the film and play it as the movie played. Really?
4: So there wasn't a standard score that was sent out with Sometimes it
3: came along later. So Chaplin, later in his career, wrote scores for all of his films... ...and that became the approved thing you would play. But a lot of the time, we don't know what played the first time these movies played... ...because every theatre, every cinema... Had its own piano player. But
1: probably what they did is you had standard sort of sad themes like the da 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 da, mm-hmm. which yeah. is, you know, you think, oh, I see something sad on mm-hmm. screen. This is what I'm going to play. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. I, we went to a Buster Keaton double bill mm-hmm. a couple of years ago, and his physical comedy is as good or better than anything that you'd see a century later. Yeah. It still gets huge laughs mm-hmm. because it's universal, and that's why they were such big stars because it was silent, it could be marketed to every language. The, we've got a picture of Chaplin as the tramp in the studio. Yes, here, and he well, was do, the biggest star in the world because everyone could identify with him. Yeah. You mm-hmm. didn't have to dub him.
4: I'm used to just seeing silent films very badly treated. In the 80s on TV, shown at the wrong frame rate and unrestored and everything. And when you actually see something properly restored and done at the proper frame rate and everything, it's a completely different experience. I've seen Metropolis in a cinema and it was great. The frame rate thing,
1: isn't that the people used to like hand crank it? Mm-hmm. So
3: what they do is they show them faster than it was.
4: I'm sure silent films might have been 16 frames a second at some point.
3: Yeah, and the stars did use that to their advantage. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the amazing stunts they did were able to be done because they could record it slower than you would watch it, and you just sped up the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When you viewed it, a chase could happen, and they could be half speed on set yeah. and then you speed it up in the studio stuff like the house falling on keaton that was all done with a you must stand exactly there or you will die mm-hmm. and not a lot of risk assessment no yeah but to hazel's point the women that starred in these films alongside the likes of arbuckle and chaplin and harold lloyd they all had leading ladies who they'd work with again and again and Edna Perviance mm-hmm. was There's the name of a star Yeah, she was Chaplin's. he worked with her consistently for a mm-hmm. period of years because he knew how good she was
2: yeah it's why um, the the book is called Backwards In In Heels because it's Fred Astaire who normally gets the references you know I wish you could dance like Fred Astaire but Ginger Rogers was an equal part of that partnership mm-hmm. yeah All right, now we're going to do our top three films of the year 2019. This comes with a little caveat in that um, we haven't seen Rise of Skywalker, Greta Gerwig's Little Women, or what was that other film that you mentioned, Dan? Meow. Yeah.
4: Could I also caveat it with there's five Nicolas Cage films still to come out this year? (laughs) No, no you
1: can't. (laughs) Yeah, but what's the odds of those being in your top three?
4: Surprisingly high.
2: Um, So these are films that we have loved so far this year. And we've picked out three each. So uh, let's start with Dan with your number three pick.
3: My number three pick is currently Avengers Endgame.
2: Mm. It is my number one. Ah. Mm, Favorite film of the year.
4: It's a number four for me. It's not on my top three, but
2: it kind of is.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I expect
3: that with that caveat of Rise of Skywalker, Endgame will drop out of my Mm -hmm. top three. I loved the scale of it. I loved lots of the moments in it. I have more problems with it than I think I have for any of the other Avengers film. Just because of the wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey premise of (laughs) Mm -hmm. it, it does open itself up to problems. I still have a problem with Thor in that film. I enjoyed it more watching at home than I did in the cinema, Mm -hmm. but it's not a perfect Avengers film for me like Avengers Assemble or actually Infinity War. Um, Mm -hmm. I would pick both of those
4: over. In retrospect, I preferred Infinity War.
2: Mm. Mm. Endgame is is right at the top for me. I hadn't looked forward to a film apart from Star Wars as I had to this one and it blew everything out of the water. I watched it three times in a cinema about five times since, including three times on a plane to America. <laughs> In a row? Um, yeah, well, just it was a 10-hour flight. <laughs> and it still held up on this like tiny little screen where you're fighting with the person next to you for armrest. I still cried at the portal scene. Um, I just think it was movie-making magic across the board and a lot of love poured into every frame of it so it's my top one because of the way that it made me feel the way that i didn't stop thinking about it and the repetitive viewings that i had peter what's new on number three
1: my number three is something i just chose as i suppose pure fun really which is uh, spider-man far from home uh, mm. good choice yeah. yeah it felt like a worthy sequel to the to the previous one it really kept the continuity it stayed within the marvel universe quite well um is spider-verse previous year Spider-Verse was last year, yes. Yes. Maybe only just, yeah.
4: Yeah, we're getting so old. <laughs> things are going so quick. Like, I picked my top three and the World 2018. Ah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> There's yeah. a large section of the start of the film where it almost like doesn't matter that he's Spider-Man <laughs> and <laughs>
3: you're just kind of enjoying the kids. That's mm-hmm. what I like about them. Um, they don't forget that he's Peter Parker. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Until I rewatched Endgame on DVD, Far From Home, I would have put above it. Mm-hmm. just because of the amount of pure fun that it is as it currently stands it's in my top 10 somewhere mm-hmm. but it doesn't quite crack the top three i am nevertheless really happy that they're going to get a third one yeah yeah yeah
1: i mean i, I enjoyed the mid-movie twist yeah. uh, i enjoyed the hints of what was to come at the end and a big reveal and change in his sort of position in the world
2: how good was jake gyllenhaal as well
4: i thought he was great in it yeah yeah he was almost spidey wasn't he
2: yeah, back in the 2002 mm. days, he was definitely in contention. Until
4: McGuire almost dropped out of Spider-Man 2. Yeah. Mm. He was mooted to take yeah. over. I loved that film. Yeah, I really, I really enjoyed it. I wouldn't say it was the best film of the year. I would say it possibly the most fun film of the year. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: mm-hmm. which
1: is sometimes what, what mm-hmm. you're, looking you're looking for. Want, yeah. Absolutely,
2: yeah. yeah. Number three for you,
4: John? Uh, number three for me is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Ah. Uh,
1: my number four. My number five.
4: <laughs> mm. I love that world. I love... 70s, Hollywood, LA. I mean, LA's probably one of my favourite places on earth anyway. There wasn't that much of a plot towards the end, but just to spend three hours with those characters wallowing in the detail of that world, it was just so enjoyable. The more I think about the ending, the more I love the ending. Not the the violence, but the alternate history at the ending mm. and what they did with one of the characters worked brilliantly and made it like a Hollywood fairy tale. And if you see it as that, yes. Yeah. It's, it's a great film. Mm-hmm. I think it's probably one of 17 best.
1: Yeah,
3: I would agree with that. Mm-hmm. Three hours flew
1: by. Yeah, yeah that's true. And this, the sense of a complete world that it mm-hmm. built was really good. Mm-hmm. You really felt you'd been there for a while.
4: It was just like having a nice bath. <laughs> <laughs> a ni- nice bath in 70s nostalgia.
1: Once upon a time in John's bath. <laughs>
3: <laughs> that's a hover
4: film. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Hazel,
2: you're number three. No, number three is Booksmart. Oh. So this is Olivia Wilde's uh, directorial debut. It's a lovely coming of age story between two girls who are about to graduate from high school. One of them overhears some of her classmates talking about her in the bathroom. And um, she comes out and says, you know, it's okay, you can stop bullying me now because I'm going to Yale and um, I'm going to have this great life and a great college. And it turns out those classmates are also going to good colleges and they've been partying hard all year. So she and her best friend realise that even though that they've been studying incredibly hard throughout the year, they have neglected their party-going ways and they have 24 hours to turn this around.
3: That struck a chord with me when I saw mm. it. I got so annoyed at those people who didn't look like they'd done any work and yeah. yet managed to get
4: further ahead y- you would than have, me. You would have hated me at university. Yeah, <laughs> I pro- probably would
0: have.
2: Yeah. It kind of tells the story of how they're trying to get to this graduation party hosted by one of their classmates called Nick. But it turns out they don't know where Nick lives, so they try and get there through a, a series of hilarious circumstances. One of them being they they um, call an Uber, and the driver who turns up is their high school principal, played by Jason Sudeikis. Um, and they act well. They are watching porn in uh, lesbian porn in the back seat and they accidentally put the audio so that he hears this as well. And it's just it's just it's a really really smartly written film, very very original. The the girls who are at the center of it, they're not afraid to show their vulnerability, um but they never show weakness. They're incredibly strong characters. The friendship between them is amazing and just such a, a lovely, sweet, original story that is hilarious and quite quite brave as well in terms of the storytelling.
3: Yeah, that's that's the thing that I left the cinema with is the friendship between mm-hmm. the two main characters. The idea of that having that best friend who you're just inseparable from. You're yeah. two halves of the same whole. And it's only been in the past seven years or so I've had someone like that. Oh, thank um, you, Dan. I know, John. Uh, <laughs> I love you. Um, <laughs> but yeah, just that kind of relationship was so well represented. And it's this generation's ultimate teen yeah. film. You know, the 80s had Ferris mm. Bueller, the 90s had 10 Things I Hate About You that does for this decade bringing it right up to date with all the kind of tech mm-hmm. and gadgets that mm-hmm. I'm way too old for to <laughs> understand. They do it really, really well. And Billy Lord as one of their classmates is hilarious. Yeah. Oh yeah, mm-hmm.
2: she's amazing. Um it's it's a really kind of nice thing to do to not pit two high school girls against each other. Yeah. Uh, in it's terms not of about enables. a boy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like so, so Molly, who is one of the main characters realize that she likes a boy that she has up until now not got along with and um, he's like the high school jock she's not shamed for liking him even though she said that you know she didn't and then amy she likes girls um and that kind of launches her story but it doesn't limit it it's just a a really great treatment of females in film Uh, it's something you've never seen before
4: i haven't seen it it's been on my list of things to watch for about six months now and it, but it's always like second or third on my list of things to watch, so I really need to get around to watching it.
3: Once it hits a streaming platform, which I assume it will at some point, I think it'll be one of these ones that lots and lots of people will mm-hmm. discover.
4: It feels like the sort of thing that you would expect to see on Netflix now rather yeah. than in a cinema. Yeah, And I think yeah. a lot of people may mm. be waiting yeah. for that.
2: Yeah. Alright, round two.
3: Well, my number two is another one about best friends uh, came out right at the start of the year it's stan and ollie oh oh
2: wonderful film which is
3: just like a big warm hug of a film Mm -hmm. it just gave me a feeling of joy and love and companionship and general happy feelings Uh, it's about the tail end of the careers of laurel and hardy who for my money are still the greatest double act there has ever been but they're at a point in their lives where You know, they're not getting movie deals anymore. They're not necessarily past it. They're still as funny as they've ever been, but people have grown past them and they go on a theatre tour of the UK Mm. and it doesn't go particularly well. But what it's really about is two lifelong friends who annoy each other, who fall out, but are still lifelong friends. And the warmth between the two of them, played by Steve Coogan and John C. Riley, just makes it so lovely and such a nice watch it's in my top three because of how it made me feel technically you know it might not use the greatest visual effects although they do recreate one of the way out west dancers pretty much spot on the makeup on john c riley's fantastic you know it has production values to it but it's the feel of the script and the way it's directed by i think john s baird is well worth a watch and for Mm -hmm. a film about friendship that and book smart. It's been a good year. Mm.
2: Mm.
1: Yeah, and it, it's weird to see uh, locations like Timewell. Yes, yeah, up in, came in, in Newcastle. In, yeah, it's very yeah. strange.
2: Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I, I just felt all warm and cosy when I watched it. It was such a pleasant film. Yes, and awesome. I think
3: uh, Ian McLaughlin's not with us this episode, but I believe he would agree. I think he loved it when mm-hmm. uh, he and Beth watched it recently yeah. as well.
4: Yeah, because they see themselves as an old timey double act. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Which one's which? <laughs> <Yeah>. No comments. <laughs> All right. Peter, number two.
1: I've chosen uh, as much for its contentiousness as anything else Joker. Oh. Well, okay. <laughs> I, <agree. laughs> I, I know. I, 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 I know why you react that way. It's a film that does make you think about it. Mm -hmm. And it's as much for the satisfaction in discussing it with people afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the way it stimulates thought and interpretation of the roles of a film and what a film should be doing. It's for those reasons that I've picked it, because Mm -hmm. I think it's an interesting and an essential choice to
3: see. Yeah, I don't think there's been a film this year that's been talked about as
4: much. Mm -hmm. Even Endgame or Rise of Skywalker
3: haven't Mm -hmm. been talked about like Joker has.
4: Mm -hmm. I was going to say that I really didn't like it. I think I I said at the start I hated it, but... We had a group chat about it afterwards, and there was more in that group chat, I think, than any other film we've seen as yeah. far back as I can remember. Yeah. So it's certainly, I mean, it was the film that captured the, like, the zeitgeist of the moment. Zeitgeist? Zeitgeist? Who knows?
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, and would you expect to watch it again? And would you expect to feel differently if you did?
4: When I came out of the cinema, I was like, that's a well-made film that I never want to see again. Agreed. I do kind of want to watch it again now, and I think I will do it at some point. Whether I went in with some preconceptions surrounding the publicity about it and the fact that I really don't like Todd Phillips mm. as a director and as a person. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Never met him, but if, um, he he doesn't do himself any favors in interviews. Joaquin Phoenix is great in it. He, no one can argue that, but the film around him is not great. And I'm again, with avoiding spoilers, I'm not a fan of that type of ending.
2: Mm-hmm. I think the fact that it came out this year is one of the reasons we're talking about it so much, because mm-hmm. this we're living in a quite a unique mm. time at the moment. I didn't mention this when we did the review of it, but it occurred to me afterwards. I recently went to a gig by comedian Ben Elton, and um, he talked about this a little bit, about the level of division and hatred that is swirling its way not only around this country but other countries as well and he mentioned a recent gig that he did in uh, grimsby in in lincolnshire which is where i'm originally from uh, and he's got a little bit on brexit in his sketch nothing um it, it's, it's clear which way he um he falls but he doesn't really kind of try to um chastise either side it's just a little kind of sketch and there was a, uh, a gentleman in the audience who stood up near the front and, with every bit of vitriol, shouted at him, pointed at him, said, We voted to leave. And then pretended to say, You're a. D-t. You're a. D-t. And he just like screaming at Ben Elton until security took him away. In his entire career, Ben Elton has never felt such hatred that he did mentioning that word. So I just think. This year is an interesting year to bring something like that out because the film is full of hatred.
1: He must have been called that a
4: oh. lot of times.
2: Well, I'm sure, I'm sure he did, but maybe not to, in such an angry and visible way before.
4: We've all seen the Thin Blue Line. Yeah, I used to like the Thin Blue
2: Line.
3: <laughs> I, I can't remember who it was was talking about recently. It might have been James Acaster. Um, there are certain comedians that. Know their audience and mm. know that the people who go to see their show tend to lean a certain way politically. Yeah. Mm. But if you're a touring comedian and you're going to comedy clubs around the country, there are parts of your set that you don't do in certain places anymore. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I don't know whether that was the case five or ten years ago.
4: Yeah, mm-hmm. James Acaster is an odd one live. I saw. Um, I think he's great. Yeah, it depends when you see him. Because I saw mm-hmm. called Lasagna Hate myself his new show, and it was on at the yeah. Time Theatre on a Friday night. And there was a lot of the mock the week crowd And he didn't cope with the crowd very well. Mm-hmm. And I've heard stories of that with other people. That is very mm-hmm. easily distracted. If the crowd are on side or right. there's any heckles or it's a noisy crowd. So mm-hmm. we didn't get half the sets that we'd been promised. We got a lot of him being quite argumentative with the crowd in a bit. That wasn't sticking the way that is if Stuart Lee does it. It was quite mm-hmm. uncomfortable by the end. Mm. But on his night, he's amazing.
2: Yeah. So I, I don't know if Joe could come out, Um. you know, Basically, Before, it's a film
3: about stand-up comedy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it is. King of comedy.
2: Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. so, mm, yeah. I'll, I I don't think I'll watch it again, personally.
4: Yeah. Your number two, John?
2: Uh, my number
4: two is Us. Oh, yes. Yeah, which is a film that I think has been forgotten about a little bit. I have not seen it. I haven't seen it either. Have you seen is it? Is this the... Nope. Jordan uh, Peele. Yeah. Yeah. It's the Jordan Peele. It's kind of the follow-up to Get Out that didn't have quite the cultural... Hits that Get Out did, but is great. You have a middle-class family who have issues and so on, but are generally quite happy. One night, when they look out the window, they see kind of like a feral version of themselves attacking the house. So mirror images, played by the same actors of the families, but in jumpsuits, and kind of the opposite personality-wise. And then it's a house assault kind of horror film, it's very difficult to talk about it without spoiling. It's a great twist at the end. It's very, very well acted with Lupita Nyong'o. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: She's amazing. Uh, in, a, in a really great dual role, the kids are creepy as fuck, like the dark kids. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Can you rephrase that? <laughs> the, 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 the dark mirror images of the kids. So like, I mean, it's a very, very difficult part to play. The young girl particularly is amazing. And it talks about race and class in a way that isn't quite as on the nose as Get Out, but all that social commentary is still on there. And I think it's one of the best horror films I've seen of the the last few years. Um, That and The Babadook are probably my two horror films of the decade so far. And I I absolutely loved it. And if you haven't seen it, check it out. Mm -hmm. Hazel?
2: My number two is Marriage Story.
4: I think this might be in my top three once I see it, because I'm so looking forward yeah, to this. It's,
2: it's, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. It really is. Um, so it stars Scarlett Johansson as Nicole, who plays an actor, and um, also Adam Driver as Charlie. He plays a theatre director in New York. The film opens with this lovely seven-minute montage where they've gone to a counselling session because they are trying to divorce in a friendly, amicable way. They share a son. And the counsellor has um, asked them to do this exercise whereby they both describe what they love about each other. So each person is describing what they love whilst the audience see it actually go to a flashback. So uh, Charlie says wonderful things like she's the most amazing mum. She really, really plays. She gives the best presence. She is describing what she loves about him and how um, passionate he is, how he's really competitive, all these wonderful little details. And, and they're not traditional reasons you would love someone, but they're a sign that you've got to know this person incredibly well and you love them for all of them, despite any flaws that they have. And that's a recurring theme throughout the film because these two characters are not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. Both of them come up short, uh, particularly when the lawyers come in. But at the heart of it, they are just real people. And it's the most amazing performances I've ever seen from both of them. Scarlett Hansen and Adam Driver. Maybe about two thirds of the way through, there's a two hander scene which lasts for about 10 minutes and it's directed like a play where they go from um, having a normal conversation to a full on argument and it's just amazing. But it's also punctuated by a lot of humor because you know you really feel the sad moments but have a lot of laughs along the way like the way that she is trying to present the divorce papers to him is actually done in quite a comedic way because she's not allowed to pass them on to her so she gets her sister to do it who is completely out like a fish out of water
4: i've heard it's almost woody allen-esque in some places would you no, say that i've
2: not seen many woody allen films um mm-hmm. so i probably couldn't comment on that but
4: they're the same age the characters aren't they so that's probably it's something different <laughs> <laughs> similar age <laughs>
2: uh yeah it's just such a heartwarming Mm. film it's available on netflix now but i saw it in the cinema Heartwarming is an interesting
3: yeah i was wondering about heartwarming because to me the concept of it just sounds like it would be sad
2: it it is sad um but at the same time you see how much love they have for their son they really want things to work out but circumstances and miscommunications mm-hmm. mean that that sometimes doesn't happen but there's just something about this film that I just think is so worth the watch mm-hmm. and despite the heavy um, topic. Again, like I said, I haven't seen it but there's been some criticism that,
4: I mean, it's Noah Baumbach and it's Based roughly on his, loosely on his divorce, so there's some whether it's yes. a slightly biased towards his telling nope. the male telling of events.
2: No, it's not biased whatsoever. The mm-hmm. um, as I say, both characters come up short, it's certainly inspired by his divorce from Jennifer Jason Lee, but I, it's not a biased film at all. There's certain moments where you're on the dad's side, there's certain moments when you're on the mum's side. It's 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 50 50. Wonderful.
4: I hear Alan Alda's great in it as well.
3: Oh yes, is yeah. one of
2: the lawyers, and Laura Dern is amazing.
3: Yeah, I'm sure it's excellent, but it's not one I don't think I'd ever. It's not one I ever think oh, I'd want it, to watch.
4: You're getting married in April, June, June. You're getting married in June, Dan. So maybe it might be a a wedding night watch or <laughs> yeah. a, a pre-wedding <laughs> night watch. Yeah,
2: no. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. well, I'm getting married too, and it yeah it hasn't put me off. Are you going to
1: argue about Thor Ragnarok on your
3: wedding day? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> yeah.
2: Dan, your number one. My number one Mm.
3: is, of course, X-Men Dark Phoenix.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, of course, yes.
3: Not really. The highest of the X-Men Dan has hit his
2: head, hasn't he?
3: (laughs) Uh, No, it's actually Gurinder Chadha's Blinded by the Light, which came out this summer and is another one that, uh, for me, was Mm -hmm. just full of joy and happiness and fun. It's the story of a teenage boy called Javed, who is in a Pakistani family in Luton, in the 1980s, discovers the music of Bruce Springsteen and his life starts to change. And as a massive Springsteen fan, it just hit every mark for me. It's not a flawless film, nor would I pretend it is, but for capturing that feeling of when you find that music where every lyric resonates with you and it makes you feel powerful and it makes you want to change the world, and it doesn't have to be Springsteen. It could be any artist. It captures that moment in your life so well and uses Springsteen's music particularly mm-hmm. uh, in such a way that we came out of the cinema just loving everything and it was great and fun and happy and, yeah, uh, can't quite beat that feeling in a film for me. Mm. So that's my pick.
1: Mm. Cool. I chose a similar one, possibly for some similar reasons, which is uh, Rocket Man, which is mm. the Elton John biopic. As a contrast to the approach taken for Bohemian Rhapsody, which was very much more following the story of the band, although it's telling Elton John's story, the music isn't trying to fit into the chronology of the, of the actual events, mm-hmm. like the Queen film did.
4: So it's a re- Bohemian Rhapsody is a realist film, yeah, and this isn't so tied to a straight telling of with the music being created when it should have been
1: Yeah, yeah. so so compared to Bohemian Rhapsody Mm -hmm. it's a much more fantasist version of things Uh, so he's having a scene as as a kid with his family and they all start singing uh, I Want Love which is one of his much later songs about Mm -hmm. what's missing in their lives who they give each line to relates to how that character's feeling at the time so it's not hindered by the reality of when a song was in the charts it's sense of imagination and weirdness it starts with him coming into rehab with a ridiculous stage costume on and massive wings <laughs> and sitting there amongst everyone else talking about his jug problems <laughs> and telling the story of how he got there. It just has loads of really nice moments mm-hmm. in it. It's the flights of fantasy that I enjoy. Oddly, one of the more realistic ones, he plays a big event at the Troubadour in Los Angeles to kind of launch him in America. And there's a very famous photograph of him playing the piano mm-hmm. where he's mid-jump and has yeah. his feet up in the air. Mm-hmm. They're doing the old trope of, you know, they hear a couple Mm -hmm. of bars of a song and all of a sudden it's the best song they've ever heard. He's playing the piano and his feet just lift off the floor and the whole audience as well are lifted off the floor. and they Yeah, move it's like a anti-gravity of room, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> and, and just this sense of the way music carries you away and takes yeah. you to a different place that that sort of reflects.
2: Uh, I, I totally agree. I think I got that nailed on. And I listened to uh, Elton John for a long time after watching that film. It really inspired mm-hmm. me to such a wonderful musician and they really captured his essence. Yeah, See, so
4: I grew up in the 80s. In the early 90s, and Elton John wasn't cool. And Uh. I grew up, I did the same thing with Stevie Wonder. I grew up kind of going, Elton John, yuck. (laughs) And then you listen to the albums, they're fucking great, aren't they? It's really, really good. But um, did you hear the Robbie Williams story?
2: No.
4: So Robbie Williams was on the Jonathan Rush or something the other week, and he basically said that he was at his lowest ebb, and he was, like, drinking and boozing and kind of refusing to go to rehab. And he turned up and he knocked on Elton John's door, like, in a state. And Elton John grabbed hold of him and kind of said, right, you're going to rehab straight away. Put him in rehab and cleaned up. And he basically, Robbie Williams was like, I would probably be dead if it wasn't for Elton John. Mm. So what I'm saying is that fucking awful Christmas album <laughs> that's come out is Elton John's fault.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you callous, callous bastard. Oh. Right. <laughs>
4: yeah.
3: So what, what's your number one then?
4: So my number one uh, is the
3: Robbie Williams concert film.
4: <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> Rocky Man, I'm surprised it's not. It's kind of not been talked about for a while or anything, has it? It I seems. not so. Do
2: you yeah. reckon that that um, Taron Egerton might not get nominated mm. because Rami Malek won last year?
1: Oh, yeah, it's possible. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. and yeah. The di- partially the director being the same. Yeah. Mm.
2: But think, of course, yeah.
4: I think it's, it's agreed that it's a much better film than Bohemian Rhapsody. They've kind of got linked together. So I'm, I'm surprised that it's not in like the end of year lists or talks or anything. It seems to have been forgotten about a little it's bit. It's in
2: hours, thanks to mm-hmm. Peter.
4: Okay, so um, at the start... You're number one. Yeah, at the start of this year, um, I was in London for a few days from work.
2: This is fucking Mandy. So on the
0: 1st of February 2019,
4: I can confirm that the Prince of Charles Cinema in London was showing the film oh, Mandy. Hazel,
3: oh. <laughs> hey, so you're number one.
2: It was Endgame. Oh, that's right. Good, right. We have to end on John. No, uh,
4: So Mandy um, technically was in a cinema this year and is my my film of the year. And I will be insisting that the side Cinema has an annual showing so I can keep this going for as long as the podcast does. Um, <laughs> if, for whatever reason, you want to disregard Mandy, um, The Irishman is my yeah. number one of the year. You talk
2: about that, John.
4: The, the, the Irishman, <laughs> by a long, long way, is my... Film of it. having said it, you say, not, not seeing my story, not seeing Star Wars, cats. the American man would be tough to, not seeing cats. <laughs> I think it's uh, the same bet. I'm going to get off my tits and see cats, and that's my plan. I, I, I only want to see that film if my drug addled mind thinks it's real because I think <laughs> that would be fun. <laughs> um,
3: <laughs> So The Irishman, which I, I have now seen. I've seen have The Irishman seen it, now, but yeah. yeah. it's on Netflix. I think we,
4: we've all seen we've all it, haven't seen we? It. We, yeah. we and Hazel saw it at the cinema, and you two saw it on Netflix. Yes. yes. Um, you, Peter, didn't love it as much as I did. Would that be right? Yeah, I didn't I d- I didn't hate it. Um,
1: I think I had issues with how it ended a little, oh, a little bit. I it, loved did, the the, it didn't end in a happy place. Yeah. And also, yeah. I kind of felt the length more than I did with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, mm-hmm. which is of a similar ilk.
3: Yeah, I think watching at home might contribute to that a little bit. I don't know about cinema watches, yeah. mm-hmm. but when, when you're at home and you can hear the traffic outside and yeah. your phone goes off or whatever it might be. So mm-hmm. I actually watched the last 45 minutes the following day mm. and I really loved the ending. Mm. I don't know how much of that is because I had a little break mm-hmm. and my brain had time to watch the end almost mm-hmm. yeah. as its own little coda. But I really loved the ending Uh, as somebody who isn't that into crime epics Mm -hmm. and i'm not huge on goodfellas and the godfather i know that they're good films but they just don't connect with me once it gets into a different headspace towards the end that's when i got really invested in it and
4: even kind of extra textually or metatextually the idea that you know the people that are making this film are all in the 70s and 80s and it's yeah. possibly Martin Scorsese's last word on the crime genre for it mm. to end that way. Yeah, I
3: mm-hmm. think that's yeah. really, works really interesting. Well,
4: yeah. mm-hmm.
3: And I thought Joe Pesci was great.
1: Mm. Oh, oh, yeah, amazing. he was good. Yeah.
4: Amazing. By a long way, he's a, he's a standout performer. It?
1: Yeah, I think he'll be getting awards. Yeah.
4: I haven't watched the whole thing again, but I'm less critical about the role of women in the film and I think the... Um, Anna Paquin. Her role is much more powerful than I thought the first time.
2: It's the fact that she's so angry at him and she mm. refuses to talk to him. That's the issue. Yeah. By talking to him, she kind of uh, mm-hmm. defeats the objective. Yeah. of So the criticism to him. that she doesn't have mm-hmm.
4: many lines, that she's yeah. just there. But that's the,
2: that's the point. Yeah. yeah. I felt the tension in mm-hmm. her, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: He didn't reveal his part in the murder mm-hmm. until much, much later. Mm-hmm. And so you could have actually played it more, seeing what happened on that day. But it's only in the end of his life that he reveals what really happens on that yeah. day and shows how he did it.
4: Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what happened in real life, wasn't it? He was kind of essential on his deathbed and he, he told this story, which I think has been debunked to some extent, hasn't it? I think are
1: there not five different people claim they did it by yeah, yeah. like different ways and different accounts of where the body mm. is?
4: And the fact that in the Hoffa film that came out with Jack Nicholson playing Jimmy Hoffa, Frank Sheeran's not even a character in it, is he? Oh, right. So this idea that he was a central figure in his life is... Mm, mm,
3: but I guess the events of the film are Sheeran telling the story, yeah. so... Mm. I, I don't think is trying to do an unreliable narrator thing but you know, no. i suppose it is going to be his version of the story but yeah very good choice for number one mm-hmm.
4: yeah
2: have you seen it since the cinema yeah
4: i've seen it not watched it all mm-hmm. again but mm-hmm. i've watched it i've had it on in the background while i've been doing other things
1: well that is the way he wants it to be watched I <laughs> <absolutely, yeah. laughs> while doing the ironing
4: <laughs> so do we have an overall film of the year between us can we have a consensus
1: well, what, what scored highest amongst all of us?
3: Well, I think Endgame, was, Endgame,
1: probably. Endgame featured in two. It's
2: quite um, surprising that none of us had Captain Marvel. Um, um, well,
1: it kind of didn't feel like it was this year, and that was why. Yeah, yeah I, I, I literally saw it written as being this year and thought, that doesn't feel right.
3: <laughs> I think the ones that we've all seen that we talked about there were N- Endgame or Irishmen. <laughs> so it's yeah. Yeah. Avengers versus the Teamsters.
0: Mm. it's
3: Marvel versus Scorsese oh (laughs) god yeah well only one of those classifies as cinema so (laughs) it's the one that was on Netflix
2: and that brings us to the end of another Nerdfest episode we'd like to say a happy new year as well so I hope you have an awesome 2020 in our next episode we're going to do a preview of the top films that are coming out this year and why we're looking forward to them do check us out on social media we're at Nerdfest UK on Twitter and Facebook hey John
4: yes <laughs>
2: what are you going to do this time um, it's a new year now so probably you're a little bit more dignified now I'm, I'm, a little I'm, older I'm, and you know, wiser I, I am
4: going to send a single sock <laughs> worn on my very own feet.
2: Is it going to be a a lucky sock? Yeah. So leave us a review and you'll get a worn sock from John.
3: (laughs) I thought these were meant to incentivise people.
2: (laughs) None of them have. It's a threat, not a problem. (laughs) But until next time, you've been listening to
3: a man whose fiance will be very pleased he reviewed Murder, She Wrote, on the podcast. <laughs> a man who is hoping
4: someday to be localised into English. <laughs> the man who stole Nicolas Cage's Lucky Underpants.
2: <laughs> and a woman who has learnt that it's easier to do it forwards and in flats. We'll see you next time. Bye! Bye. Thank you for the
4: joke. <laughs> <laughs>
2: It's why um the f- the book is called backwards and in, in heels because Jean Kelly is known as um the mo- more famous half of uh you know Jean Kelly and Ginger Rogers but she did backwards and in heels so Fred,
1: Fred Astaire Aster. did I what did Gene I say Jean
2: Kelly oh sorry Fred Astaire
1: <laughs> so <we> start <laughs> from that why the book is called yeah
2: oopsie um so yeah that's why the book is called um backwards and in heels because um it's fred astaire who normally gets the references you know i wish I could dance like fred astaire when gene kelly was uh, you know equal partners but just oh fuck <laughs> 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 but, <laughs> thank you <laughs> um but ginger rogers was an equal part of that partnership Yay! Um, yeah.